Hi, my name is Ryan McIntyre. I'm the president of Mavericks Metals. Mavericks is a precious metals royalty and streaming company. Uh, we currently have 122 royalties and streams. Uh, we expect record revenue in 2021 of approximately $55 million. We have a $700 million mark cap and are dual listed on the Toronto and New York stock exchanges under the symbol MMX. Good to see you again, Ryan. I think we saw Dan recently. Um, haven't seen you for a while. How has your year been? Uh, the year's been very good, actually. Yeah, I think it's been since July since we last spoke. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's been a while. Been a funny, funny old year in the market, right? Obviously, you guys have been affected by precious metals coming. Well, the equities coming off a bit. Um, how, how are you reading that? What's, what's the sentiment? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think most commodities have done quite well this year. Uh, you know, gold has struggled a little bit. I think really just due to the the Fed here, you know, in terms of them t- possibly tapering uh, more aggressively than previously thought. But uh, you know, our view. You know, on the gold price is very strong, and that's obviously the focus of our our business to try to get exposure to that front. Yeah, but it it, it is gold price is fantastic, and if you're a producer, you, you're you're making money, and you you're fine. If it was like this for the next ten years, you, you'd be happy, right? But the equities have, have come off. There's been a sort of sort of disinterest in the in, in precious metals across the board, and the years of royalty coming have not um, been immune to that either. Um, again, have you got a, a sense of what's happening there? Yeah, I think it's. People just taking a look at the different risk categories, I think, in relation to any sort of Fed paper. And obviously, you know, gold equities, whether it's the royalty companies or gold mining stocks, are obviously more sensitive to changes in gold price than, than gold, obviously. So to me, it makes a lot of sense that, you know, particularly some risk off is happening, particularly on the junior side, I would say, because that's obviously the riskier category. And then you go to the larger producers, and then obviously the royalty companies, and then the gold itself is sort of being the sort of the sequence of where I'd call the risk off departments. Right. So you, you need to keep telling growth story that, you know, and like you're, you're, you're between 650 and 700 million uh, market cap, you've got 122 royalties in the streams that you, you've got 14 paying royalties, but you, you've got to keep pushing um, that growth story in the, in the marketplace. So is, is 2020, uh, so 2022 lined up to be a growth story or is it more a consolidation story? Yeah, I mean, for Mavericks itself, we definitely expect to have higher revenue in 2022 than 2021. And there are a few different things happening there. We obviously made some acquisitions toward the end of 2021 that will obviously be 100% represented next year. Uh, We've got a 2% royalty on the Camino Rojo project, which uh, comes on actually this quarter, and that'll add about 6 or 7% for revenue base as well. Then there's a few expansions as well uh, that already exist in our portfolio. We've got uh, a 4.75% royalty on the Beta Hunt mine, which is undergoing a doubling uh, in terms of uh, underground throughput there. So that'll add over 10% for revenue base. And then you've got the uh, potential expansion at the Hope Bay mine uh, by Nico Eagle. It'll add probably another 6 or 7% over the next couple of years here. Okay, so you have to set yourself up for this. But one of the, and I want to come back on, on a couple of points in a second, but again, one of, one of the issues you're going to have to deal with is, as well as telling that growth story for next year, which is, as you say, sounds impressive, is the Newmont, Pana, Pan American, Kinross, major shareholders. You've got a couple of institu- you know, mid-sized institutional guys in there too. 75, 80% of this is held by institutions. Retail guys can't get a look in. Um, you need liquidity to kind of drive that price. What are you going to do about it? Yeah, it's an interesting question because, you know, obviously we've got three large holders uh, with Newmont, Pan American, and Kinross 
owning over 50% of the business. Uh, management itself owns about 8%. So we're obviously fully aligned with, with everybody. And, and I think you're absolutely right. I think the biggest question or knock that we have against Mavericks is, is liquidity. Uh, we trade about a million and a half dollars a day uh, between the Toronto and New York Stock Exchange listing. Uh, that has improved dramatically over the last several years, um, but it is still below the threshold, I would say, of a lot of people, just given that float is pr- pretty limited. So I think there are some advantages, obviously, to having great, strong shareholders. But on the other hand, uh, there is there is certainly a need for additional liquidity there uh, to encourage uh, new investors into the stock, for sure. But where's it going to come from? Because you guys are throwing off cash. You're going to have a better year next year than this year in terms of cash generation revenues. Um, but you we'll talk, maybe talk about your third third quarter um, um, results in, in, in a second. You've got three big shareholders who don't need the cash right now, it, it seems. So there's there's no kind of chance of more shares coming into the market, and you know, whether you look at that positively uh, or negatively as an overhang uh, is, is down to you. But you, you need to give the the retail guys access to more shares. We're, we're, you know, is there something you can do? Is there something you can control? Or is it just that we need to just accept that's the makeup of your company? Yeah, I mean, I would just think that, you know, we're obviously cognizant that that's one of the issues prohibiting new investors from coming into the stock. Uh, that being said, we're not going to just do an equity issue, do an equity issue, and certainly not at these prices. Uh, that is for sure. You know, but hopefully over time, a couple of things will happen. Uh, you know, we've obviously, we've averaged about three or four deals a year since Mavericks has been in, in existence. And so we hope for that to continue. And, you know, with that, you know, there might be a situation if it's large enough uh, where we do do an equity deal, uh, but that'll be a great scenario uh, for existing Maverick shareholders and obviously allows some new shareholders uh, to possibly come onto the register as well. So I think we've got a few options, but it will take a little time for sure. It'll take a lot of time, but, you know, you've also got massive credit facilities in place. So, you know, it needs to be a pretty big deal. And that, that's rarefied air and the competition is a little bit stronger up, up there, I, I, I suspect. So do you think that's something that you've got a line of sight to now or is it a case of as and when? Yeah, I mean, we're certainly well-funded in terms of available capital now. I mean, we have over 160 million available to us. Uh, we're net cash positive, obviously, and we continue to generate uh, significant cash every quarter. Uh, but on the other hand, we are looking at some pretty large things. And so we'll see how things you know, progress over the next year or so. Uh, but, you know, we look at everything from large to small. And you never really know when the sequence of new transactions is going to come our way. Uh, but we certainly want to be prepared. And uh, there could be an opportunity at some point for uh, for some type of equity issue in the future. Right. Okay. So, so no line of sight yet, but it, it, it could happen. And which then asked me the question about, you know, what, what's the ambition here? Because if, if, if I look at the Newmont, Panamark and Kinross, you know, what's their expectation of you? Because this is a big deal for them, you know, because, you know, worst case scenario for them is um, you go and sell to another big royalty company, right? So the, there's a, you know, um, some upside there. And it's a relatively easy, quick, simple thing to do, presumably. Or do they want you to go out and make big acquisitions and maybe get some liquidity in this? And because it's in their interest to drive the share price up as well, isn't it? Yeah, no, exactly. I think for all the deals we've done uh, with the large corporates, so that includes, you know, Pan American, Goldfields, Kinross, and Newmont. You know, I think all four of them, I think the primary objective was A, to sort of daylight value. So they have these, you know, latent royalties in their portfolio already that weren't getting recognized in the market. So that was step one. but 
the second part was probably even more so a selling point because they could have sold those royalties to any other royalty company. But the key differentiator for us is that, you know, we're planning and we have done, uh, we've basically tried to get a higher multiple along the way as we've increased uh, scale and quality basically over time. And so there's, there is that re-rate factor that you have as a junior royalty company and moving towards sort of a multiple of a senior royalty company, uh, which we've done partway, but we still have a long way to go to get there. And it, yeah, I think as you point out, you know, if we can't do that and also add some value per share from new acquisitions, uh, I think that is absolutely correct that uh, they'll probably just sell out to a larger player in the space. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, again, nice problem to have. Um, t- t- you've kind of explained some of the organic growth, which is going to come through um, next year and, 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 the qu- and the quantum there. In terms of acquisitions, you're, you're fairly global now, you know, very well represented in North and South America. You, you obviously, you mentioned Beta Hunt there with Corora in Australia. You've got this couple of others as well. Are you starting to have to look beyond, um, jurisdictions that you would normally feel comfortable in? Because I, I know we obviously you've got a, a couple of projects in Africa. Are you finding yourself looking there more and more at the moment? Yeah, I mean, we sort of look at everything, I guess, as a broad comment. And I think, you know, part of our strategy is really to have a balanced portfolio. So to the extent that we do add something in, in a riskier place, it'll probably have to be a better either minor project or a better operator operating those. I would say, because that makes a huge difference in terms of its reception within the country and its ability to operate successfully. And so, you know, I think we always do try to create a balance. And that goes with, you know, projects as well, sort of balance out, you know, current cash flow, near-term, mid-term growth, which we have, and then long-term optionality, which we also have. And I think, you know, the one great thing about our portfolio today is that we are so well-balanced and that we could add some you know, new projects or interests in uh, projects or mines in different countries around the world uh, without too much you know, impact on the rest of the portfolio. Yeah, and, and are you at all tempted to get slightly out of your comfort zone? Because there's a lot of kind of thematics kind of coming through in the market um, around you know, net zero carbon initiatives. And we've seen lots of green royalty companies try and start up. and. It, are you going to tip your hat towards any of that? Are you going to stick stick to the knitting and do do what you know best? I think the game plan for us is really to stick to our knitting. I mean, we certainly recognize that a lot of people have moved towards sort of the battery metals and toward the carbon credit uh, type streaming and things like that. And uh, frankly, that's just that's uh, not our expertise, and nor I think is that what our shareholders want. And so, you know, I think there's some great opportunities for for shareholders to look at other companies to do that, but. You know, for us, I think trying to keep us as pure play in the gold space as possible is our primary goal and something that obviously we, we do pretty well in. Yeah. And, and you're happy with the organic, the rate of growth with your organic strategy. You're not toying with or looking at, because we, again, when we talk to people, it seems consolidation of the spaces is inevitable. We've talked about, you know, your worst case scenario is if someone comes and takes you guys out at a premium. Um, are you looking at some of these smaller players who are perhaps struggling either through being cash constrained or ability to, you know, uh, purchase you know, for whatever reason? Yeah, no, I think, you know, we're looking at everything. And so, you know, a lot of people come to us uh, with new ideas about various things. And we come up obviously with our own ideas as well. And, you know, for us, it's always a balance of risk return. I think everything that we do is, you know, does this fit our strategy? And yes, no. And then what's the risk return here? on the opportunity. And, you know, for us, we would absolutely uh, look at various corporate opportunities as well. 
uh, in addition to, you know, kind of one-off royalties or royalty portfolios. So we'll look at anything. Right. Okay. And, and what and what about again? So I look at the the your share price being fairly fairly erratic um, th- th- this year in, re- in a reflection of the, of the what's going on in the market for sure. But if you were saying to investors outside of your your um, you know, industry and and uh, market guys, the institutional guys, if you're saying to people, this is how you should value us. This is how you should value a royalty company. What, what, what would you have people look at which differentiate, differentiates you from the other royalty companies that come on and, and, and tell their story? Yeah, I and mean, I think the one thing that differentiates us obviously is the, the ownership of the company. So that's obviously a huge part of it. If we talk about sort of three large corporates and management that take up over 60% of the ownership. And so I think you've got a, a great group of people uh, with a wide network who look at a variety of different things. But, you know, the beautiful thing right now is our portfolio is really well balanced between, you know, existing cash flow, near-term growth, and long-term optionality. And it's so diversified that no one asset makes up 10% of the value of the company. And so, you know, given that, you know, everything that's going on in the world, uh, you know, I think it is important to have a well-diversified portfolio. So I guess when I think about it, you know, as an investor myself, you know, I just think about it as being a great inflation hedge. You know, if you want exposure to gold, particularly gold mining equities, which give you more leverage, uh, we're even, I would say we're even better that than that in the sense that, you know, we aren't directly impacted by rising inflation, which is great for uh, obviously shareholders. But the great thing is with a higher gold price uh, comes again, uh, additional capital sunk into the interest where we've got you know, projects and exploration things in the background where we have a royalty. And as those move forward, extra value is created at no extra cost to Maverick shareholders. And that's exactly what we want. And that's exactly what you get with us. And you can sleep at night knowing that you've got a lot of groups uh, that are well aligned with shareholders. Uh, and so I would think that, that would be a good combination. So, I mean, I mean, just well, just on that, because if given the kind of the nature of the market this, this year, um, you've got to have a view on what gold's going to do next year. And I'd love to hear, hear what you've got to say because I have no clue because the, the, the normal rules seem to have gone out the window slightly um, with, with you know, gold price being where it is and in relation to what you know, was going on with the equities. So have you, got, have you got a view, has your company got a view on what 2022 holds for uh, people investing in the gold market? Yeah, I mean, you never know what's obviously going to happen in the next year or so. I don't think anyone would have predicted anything like the last few years we've had. Uh, but I will say that we are absolutely 100% bullish on gold price over the medium to long term. Uh, there's no question in our minds. You know, if you look at the rate of money supply increases uh, from all the governments around the world, you look at the uncertainty, and then you look at the fundamentals. You look at the valuation of these companies. So, in, you know, going back to Mavericks for a minute, I mean, if you look at you know our company. Uh, we're going to generate over 40 million of free cash flow next year. Our market cap is only $700 million. And plus, we have all this growth uh, to come in addition to that. And while you're waiting, you get paid a uh, over 1% uh, dividend yield, so which is well in excess of anything you can get on a bank account. And the beautiful thing is it's inflation protected. And so I think you've got a lot of those right elements together, particularly in today's environment, where I would say it's pretty frothy in most asset classes, except for uh, gold equities. 
it, it, it's interesting you say that because when, when when companies come on and talk about the, the dividend game, you, you you've got to get the balance between you know the equity growth and, and the dividend game because banging out one percent is is better than nothing. But you know there will be industries like say say coal, there there'll be banging out dividends, but you know high single digit in some cases low low double digit type type stuff. So you, your game's got to be more about showing the growth component and what you do with your cash that you're generating to you know uh, cont- you know continue to um, be able to pr- prove up um, your ambition as it, as it were so what what will you be doing with this cash because if you're dashing out one percent dividends it's clearly not giving all of it back to shareholders you want to do something with it you've got something in mind so what, what is it yeah, and I think the last couple of deals that we've done since we last spoke in July are a good illustration of what we will be doing with it. You know, one of the things we have focused on in the past year or so is to focus on areas where we've got a natural advantage over other competitors in the realty space. And so we've done about $150 million worth of deals. So we've done a deal with uh, Newmont acquiring another royalty portfolio from them, a second portfolio royalties from Pan American. And then in the past uh, quarter or so, we've done a deal with the uh, Ormet. And then we've also done a deal with uh, Polymetal. And the last two are probably the most interesting in the fact that those deals are adding immediate cash flow uh, to Mavericks. So if you look at the deal returns on both of those transactions, where we deployed uh, just over $70 million, uh, those generate uh, 10% annual returns uh, at today's spot prices. And so, you know, Doing a deal just to do deals not a great business model, uh, but doing a deal in excess of your cost of capital is always a great thing to do when you balance off cost of risk as well. And you know, I think you can look for for more of that uh, from Mavericks going forward. So I wouldn't imagine uh, too much change there. I mean, did, did it surprise you being able to do deals like that in in this market? You know, because producers are making money. Well, most of them are. It's it seems. Why are they coming to you for money? And I think it goes back to the, you know, where you have a natural advantage. So I can speak with all those four transactions. Uh, we had pre-existing relationships with, with each one of those counterparties. We've done deals with all of them before. And, you know, especially on the, the case with, uh, you know, format, we've actually purchased royalties from them before. And we've actually tried to team up on a few things as well in the past. We haven't gotten anything across the line successfully in conjunction with them, but we've really formalized that relationship. Uh, with the transaction that we've done recently, where we basically gave them $50 million up front, and we'll be getting 5,000 uh, GEOs a year. Uh, we'll be paying an ongoing cost of uh, 16% of the spot gold price. But it's you know it's illustrative of the types of things that we're doing is that we're working with people uh, to make everyone better off. And I think you know, that's a great illustration of that. And things where you know one plus one in terms of teamwork, you can get you can get more than two. Yeah. It's a, yeah. I- Interesting. I, ju- I just, I'm just wondering about you know the in, in, in markets like this is the, what's the what's, what's happening with the cost of money for you know miners in terms of their ac- access to um, debt uh, products. Um, obviously, no one wants to be raising equity in markets like this, so you, you become more appealing, I guess, uh, as, as an option. Um, are you, what, 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 well, can you give some sort of insights that you know some of the things that the the miners are battling against or nervous of, which makes them come to you know companies like you for the cash instead? Yeah, well, I think for one, I think royalties and streams have become more mainstream in terms of one component of financing in addition to equity and debt. Uh, but you know, obviously, with 
you know, the equity prices in the gold space uh, being severely under pressure, I'd say, over the past year or so, it has made doing that much more expensive than it was a year, year and a half ago. And I think, you know, because of that, you know, I think the great thing about particularly how the way Mavericks is set up is that, you know, we, we do have the ability to help people out when they're in need, uh, just given our existing cash flow base and our ability to do basically anything, whether it's cash flow generative or some project that's going to be coming in down the road. And I think the great thing for the counterparty, so the operator, is that they get current capital without really diluting their shareholders to an extreme level. Um, and again, we'll work with, with the operator to figure out the right mix of uh, you know, cost of capital and uh, and we'll hopefully uh, get one plus one equals more than two. That's the name of the game. Name of the game, Ryan. Look, um, look good to catch up with you. Um, you know, say it was you know spring since July. Um, a nice, nice sort of summary of the year, and obviously a look towards uh, what you hope to be able to do in in twenty twenty two. So in terms of revenue, um, we will stay in touch. Follow you very closely. Um, in one of the. Uh, the standout royalty companies in, in the space, doing things the right way. Um, so, yeah, send us, let us know how you get on, okay? Excellent. Well, thanks a lot. And yeah, we'll uh, chat soon.